Word of God comes to us from the book of Exodus, chapter 24. Uh, You'll find that there in your worship folder. And uh, let's read the Word of God this morning. Then he said to Moses, Come up to the Lord, you and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, the seventy of and seventy of the elders of Israel, and worship from afar. Moses alone shall come near to the Lord, but the others shall not come near, and the people shall not come up with him. Verse three. Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord and all the rules, and all the people answered with one voice and said, All the words that the Lord has spoken we will do. And Moses wrote down all the words of the Lord. He rose early in the morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain and twelve pillars according to the twelve tribes of Israel. And he sent young men of the people of Israel who offered burnt offerings and sacrificed peace offerings of oxen to the Lord. And Moses took half of the blood and put it in basins, and half of the blood he threw against the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people, and they said, All that the the Lord has spoken we will do, and we will be obedient. And Moses took the blood and threw it on the people and said, Behold, the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. Then Moses and Aaron and Nadab and Abihu and 70 of the elders of Israel went up and they saw the God of Israel. There was under his feet, as it were, a pavement of sapphire stone like the very heaven for clearness. And he did not lay his hand on the chief men of the people of Israel. They beheld God and ate and drank. The Lord said to Moses, come up to me on the mountain and wait here that I may give you the tablets of stone with the law and the commandment which I have written for their instruction. So Moses rose with his assistant Joshua and Moses went up into the mountain of God. He said to the elders, wait here for us until we return to you. And behold, Aaron and Hur are with you. Whoever has a dispute, let him go to them. Then Moses went up to the mountain and the cloud covered the mountain. The glory of the Lord dwelt on Mount Sinai and the cloud covered it six days. And on the seventh day, he called to Moses out of the midst of the cloud Now the appearance of the glory of the Lord was like a devouring fire on the top of the mountain in the sight of the people of Israel. Moses entered the cloud and went up on the mountain. And Moses was on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, this is an extraordinary place in in your word. Uh, we pause now to acknowledge that uh, we thank you for the gift of the Bible. We thank you for preserving it, uh, giving us a reliable way of hearing you and knowing you. Uh, thank you for the fact that you, by your Spirit, are present among us, and you are about to do your work above and beyond what we could ever ask or think 
according to the power that is at work within us. So thank you for this time, and uh, we give it to you, dedicate it to you, uh, in Christ's name, amen. Okay, uh, thank you all for uh, praying uh, for me. I was traveling uh, the week before last, I was actually here this last week, but uh, I was uh, in uh, Chattanooga, Tennessee, uh, at a Christian counseling conference uh, with a lot of people who wanted to figure out how to, uh, to counsel better, and uh, the CCEF is the, a group that I've been a fan of and following, Christian Counseling and Education Foundation. So our daughter, uh, Aubrey, is at Covenant College, and so that's about eight miles away from Chattanooga. So I had a chance to see Aubrey, and uh, she's doing, doing well. Um, it's good to be, be with you. Um, Exodus 24. Uh, what an amazing text. I have a lot of books in my uh, library that have the title Self in them. Uh, the death of self, or something, you know, crazy titles that talk about uh, how the self is having a hard time these days. Um, do you find yourself, particularly when you think about the demands upon you, are you drowning in demands? Uh, when you think about the, the, that sense that you may have of being pulled all over the place, I have a book called The Saturated Self. Uh, it was written actually when just email was coming out. Uh, it's actually a little bit dated now, but the author's name is Kenneth Gergen. And uh, he describes a, an individual who wakes up on a Saturday morning and they, they really have their schedules fairly free. They don't have a lot of commitments. And so this person wakes up, uh, uh, a man wakes up on a Saturday morning and he is exhilarated because he's had a great breakfast and the day is wide open and he has just kind of, he's in high spirits, feeling great. And he relishes the, the possibilities, the contemplation of, of just freedom of the day. And then he realizes that the back door uh, where he lives needs fixing, and that calls for a trip to the hardware store. And then he realizes as he goes downtown and thinks about um, traveling downtown about how he has to have a, get a haircut. And then he has to collect uh, a birthday card. He has to get a birthday card at the drugstore for his brother. And then he's thinking about the shoes that need to be repaired, and he's thinking about where he should drop those off. And then he's thinking about the shirts that he dropped off at the cleaner. And then he begins to think about, wouldn't this be a good day for exercise? Can he fit that in? And he begins to think about uh, the, great, the great big game, the, the, the game, the, the sports event on TV. Uh, and he's trying to think through when that game starts. He begins to think about his vacation and wondering if he should start booking uh, the, his, his vacation spots before they're all taken. In other words, this guy starts off the day with his, his schedule really open and free and just filled with lots of exhilaration. And suddenly this day is filled up with all kinds of obligations. His optimism about the day turned into a sense of defeat. There's a chaos of competing opportunities and necessities. Do you feel like you're all over the place? Do you feel like you're pulled in multiple directions? Uh, is there a continual sense in which you're sort of split and, and your, yourself is going all over the place? There's a list of musts, must-haves, things you need to sign up for. Uh, you, you hear from other people, uh, the things they're involved with, and you wonder if you should get involved with those similar kinds of things. You're anxious. Um, there's kind of a growing sense of feeling inadequate as you, as you 
hear how other people are living and uh, the things that they're enjoying. And then as you think about the range of friends that you have, the associations you have, it's sort of expanding, isn't it? It keeps growing, growing. Your, your Facebook friends, they keep, keep growing and growing. Staying connected, staying on top of things. How do you maintain all these relationships? Again, more of this pulling. I'm being pulled in this direction. I'm going in this direction. You see, I'm interested and fascinated with the self in the middle of all this stuff. What happens to ourselves when we are overcommitted, overscheduled, overobligated? And then there's the whole world of social media or of even television as we see what's modeled before us, the good life. Am I, am I tracking it down? Am I pursuing it? Am I after the right things? Something else also suffers is, is that sort of clear thinking on things. Like there's a new news report and suddenly now your, your understanding of something is thrown off because new information is supplied. So there's a sense of a kind of a, always in vertigo. I never quite get something right. I never quite am up to date. I'm never quite sure. I don't know if I have the facts right. There's an increasing sense that we are saturated as a, as a people, ourselves are overwhelmed. Do you feel that? Do you sense that in you? There's a growing sense of lack of purpose, lack of direction. My life is kind of like a vapor. I'm feeling less and less sure. Another way of describing it is that there's a coherent sense of self that's fading. Blaise Pascal is, a, is an influential philosopher, theologian, and he writes this. Listen to this. He says, We burn with desire to find solid ground and an ultimate sure foundation whereon to build a tower reaching to the infinite. That may not be how you normally think, but we are searching for something to build our lives on. And then he says, the groundwork below us cracks and the earth opens to abysses. Meaning that the very hope that we had, that we had something stable in life, is now not there for us. Modern man is perpetually in trouble with his identity. We have a permanent problem with identity. And this leads to a sense of nervousness and anxiousness. Now, let's look at Exodus 24. I sort of set that bleak table, didn't I, right? Set the table with some bleak news about the self, the fragmented self. Exodus 24 comes along, and immediately there's a sense of it's solid. Of course, you're dealing with a mountain. It is solid. But there's something wonderful going on here. There's a resting place. There's people who can approach this mountain, and, and without the text saying this directly, we already have a sense that they must, must have had a, a beautiful sense of themselves, a coherent understanding of things. They knew they were coming to know who God was, and they were, they were learning about direction in life, and they, were, they would come to know who they are. This is an extraordinary passage because it, we pause... The scurrying motion of, of Exodus, the, the fast-paced motion of Exodus now pauses. We've been at the mountain for a, a couple of Sundays now. 
And now in Exodus 24, we have the, a ceremony. It's, in many ways, it's kind of like a wedding. One party is saying a vow, and the other party is saying a vow. There's, there's, there's an exchange of symbols, meaning that we are in this together. Beautiful, beautiful picture. An altar is created. Moses creates 12 pillars that represent the 12 tribes of Israel. A covenant is being ratified or confirmed. This is where the Mosaic covenant is sealed. The deal is made. And in many ways, the deal is made when they participate in food on the mountain. These 70 elders and Moses and Aaron and Aaron's sons, they go up to this mountain and they're in the presence of God and they're enjoying food and at peace with God. It's really, really a cool passage. There's a couple of patterns developing here. First of all, the pattern of deliverance leads to worship. Right? Follow along if you want in your, in your worship folder. Pattern of deliverance leads to worship. Their felt need was they were, they were enslaved. And they wanted out of this bad situation. That's what, it, that's what God found them. That felt need was real. But God moves them to a real need. The real need is worship. For us, uh, maybe you came to Christ out of a felt need that was real and powerful and overwhelming, uh, pain in your life. And God came and gave you some peace with that. But what also happened was that he led you to your, your deeper need, and the deeper need was worship. God at the center. Another pattern is that when God speaks, altars are built. What this means is that when God speaks, that our conscience is brought before his law. And in Exodus 20, we have the Ten Commandments. But in Exodus 24, we also have God giving an altar. As God speaks, an altar is built. As God thunders his law, he also provides blood. This is a pattern throughout the Bible. You see, there's two things that we're wrestling with as, as human beings. Uh, we've experienced the fall. That means that we have fallen in Adam and we are rebels. And part of that includes um, a sense of guilt, uh, actual sins that we've committed. But there's also a sense of shame. I just came back from a conference and the theme was shame and guilt. And so this is a, a condition that we're born with. It's, it's a condition that ex- we experience uh, in this earth, shame. God is addressing shame at Mount Sinai. He exposes it through his law. Shame means that we're just, there's a sense of, about us that we're unclean. We don't belong. We're outside. Ed Welch has written a book called Shame Interrupted. And here's, here's a couple of quotes from that, if you, just to get a sense of, of, of a definition of shame. Shame is the deep sense that you are unacceptable because of something you did, something done to you, or something associated with you. You feel exposed and humiliated. Or to strengthen the language You are disgraced because you acted less than human. You were treated as if you were less than human. Or you were associated with something less than human. And there are witnesses. You see, this mountain is one of the most gracious things that God does for these these people then. 
and it points to God's redemption for us through Christ. The exposure, the exposure of our condition, that means that we, we in and of ourselves cannot make ourselves acceptable to God and there's a sense in which we need God to come and touch our shame, touch that place where we feel where we have been violated or we have, we have pursued a sinful pattern toward other people and we can't make things right. In the middle of all this, God collects blood through Moses from the sacrifice of animals. And blood is the most meaningful part of the sacrifices that God required. The blood is actually thrown upon the altar that Moses makes. That blood goes toward God. God, you need to fulfill your part of the covenant. Another basin of blood is, is thrown toward the people. In fact, Exodus 24 says that it, it's, it lands upon the people. Can you imagine that image? Some scholars think that actually the blood was thrown upon the pillars and not the people themselves. But the pillars represented the 12 tribes. And so this blood is in the middle of this ceremony, our shame exposed, but then there's this blood. And then there's this picture of these men who travel up the mountain and enter into the very presence of God. We learn that no one was to touch this mountain in Exodus 19. And here we have God authorizing some to come up into his presence. It's good news here. God, through this blood, is going to receive sinners. Verse 11 says that God does not uh, lay his hand on them. In fact, they beheld God, and they ate, and they drank. Another pattern developing here is that God makes a covenant, and then there's peace and presence are the first blessings of it. God makes a covenant, and peace and presence are the first blessings of it. Remember how we sort of started this this time together, the fragmented self, anxious, unresting, restless, Here at this mountain, there's a solid sense, a substantive presence of God. They aren't aren't just getting to know principles of living or just wise sayings from God. They are getting to know God himself. They have a redeemer. And he is giving them a foundation and a solid way of living. They They are receiving a coherent sense of themselves. The fullness of God is present. This fullness is inexhaustible. There's this beautiful sense that they are loving God for his own sake. Yes, he delivered them. Yes, he's provided for them in the wilderness. But now there's a moment for them to just look upon God and enjoy him. He is the goal of salvation. So, what's interesting also about this is this is God comes down from heaven to the mountain. And these men rise up onto the mountain. Aaron and his sons will become what's called the the Aaronic priesthood. They are going to form a priesthood. They're going to represent the needs of people before God. God is going to come down on the mountain and they're going to reveal his will to people. 
the priests are going to come up representing people, and God is going to come down representing his revelation. It's interesting that in the person of Jesus Christ, the ultimate priest comes and represents us, and he also is the same one who comes down and reveals the will of God in one person. What's the result? Joyful fellowship. They are touching eternity. There's a beautiful sense of immortality here. They're enjoying their humanity without shame. Now, down on the mountain, splashed upon the altar, and splashed upon the, the pillars, is the blood. Now, you know the parallels. You can sense them. You can feel them. For us, we have the assurance that we can enter into God's very presence through, through blood. Horatius Bonner is a, a Scotsman. He's a, lived back in the 1800s. He was a pastor, a hymn writer, a big believer in revival. And Horatius Bonner, stay with me with his quote. It's a little bit lofty, but stay with me and let's, let, let's let this impact us. He says this about the cross. The cross is never old. The wood, the nails, and inscription have indeed perished long ago. But the cross in which, God, in which Paul gloried stands forever. That cross is the axle of the universe and cannot snap asunder. That cross is the foundation on which the universe rests and cannot give way. The cross of Golgotha is, in this sense, everlasting. And each one who glories in it becomes partaker, a partaker of its immortality. Listen to that. Through the cross, through the blood of Christ, you are now a partaker of immortality. In itself, the blood is the symbol of death. In connection with the cross, it is the emblem and pledge of life. It is the blood that all that it, it is by blood that all that is feeble and corruptible and unclean is purged out of creaturehood. And this is so good. It is by blood that, our, that this race of ours is preserved against the possibility of a second fall. And this earth against the contingency of a second curse. Take away that blood and the security of the universe is gone. You see, what God is doing here is that he is he's bringing a wholeness to people. The curse that fell upon the earth through Adam is going to be destroyed through this blood and through the blood of his son, you will have a security that will cause you to taste eternity for all, forever and ever. You will be truly a secure person. And then finally, one other pattern. The pattern of God's appointed leader, here, Exodus 24, Moses. God's appointed leader must ascend and represent the people before the throne of God. Well, that pattern is fulfilled in Christ. He is our appointed leader. He's our representative. He doesn't go up a mountain. He goes rising from the dead, and he ascends into heaven itself, and he represents you there, applying his blood, applying his work 
for all eternity. God's appointed representative is now representing you in heaven. He is the greater Moses. In Exodus 24, we have a temporary uh, setup. Uh, The Mosaic covenant has been replaced by the covenant in Christ. It's a temporary setup. They see the beauty of God. God dwells with man. In the New Testament, we have a permanent, a permanent setup. Heaven has touched down on earth, and you, through faith in Christ, the glory of God will always be what you will enjoy. The mountain and the Sinai covenant was really conditional in in many ways. The people broke it. God sustained it by his grace. Uh, We're going to find out that they're going to turn and make a golden calf pretty quickly. God's going to sustain them. But the covenant that we have in Christ is, is where all the conditions are met. They boast here in Exodus 24 that they'll, they'll keep the law. I heard a few chuckles. We, we'll obey everything, and we, we know. We know it's not true. But through Jesus Christ, the, the true son of Israel, God will fulfill all the conditions of the covenant And, of course, Moses ascends to receive the revelation of God. Jesus descends as the revelation of God. And now he ascends as our representative. He applies his blood, Jesus Christ, in heaven and purifying sinners for all eternity. Of course, the the great moment in Exodus 24 is the sight of God. And they, they um, they see God. Of course, for us, we will see God, but we will see God face to face through the, through the person of Jesus Christ. And so for us, one of the practical benefits of the gospel is that there's a solidness about it. There's a connected, there's a sense in which you as, a, as yourself have a place to find solid ground for who you are as a person. So we are here as a church to offer to you this permanent hope, a permanent anchor for yourself, a place to be, a place to find integration, a place to find a a, a solution to this feeling of alienation, of fragmentation. This modern sense in which I have to continually remake myself every few years, this restlessness can all stop. And we as a ministering body can help each other as we sort of recover uh, from this restlessness and this sense of fragmentation. All of us are going through stress and difficulties, wondering what the future will lie or has for us. But these pictures like this that tell us that our God has provided for us a permanent solution and hope that we can experience Sunday after Sunday in fellowship groups as we minister to each other. If you're new with us, We would love to have a conversation with you about where do you find something solid in life, something meaningful, purpose, direction. What pulls you together? What keeps you together? Where is your hope? We'd love for you to trust Christ and find this permanent, eternal hope that you might find great joy. So let's take a moment and let's thank God for this passage and then let's prepare for the Lord's Supper. 
Father, this is an extraordinary place where we find your people just pausing for a moment in Exodus 24. And in the scurry of our lives, we would thank you that we could just pause and see that this is a, an experience of what it means to have something firm to hold on to, and that's you. Father, I don't know who needs to hear this today, but that you would be their solid rock. You would be their stability. You would be their comfort, such that they could have a meal with you and not be ashamed. That you would touch us. You would embrace us. You would not stay at the top of the mountain filled with a glory cloud, but you would come in your Son And you would hold us, embrace us, receive our broken, fragmented selves. And would you put us back together again? Father, we are pulled in multiple directions. And we ask today that you'd help us to just sit beneath the cross and receive your good will for us. You know us. You know why we're restless. You know why we're running. You know why we don't have peace. And you have come to settle the deal to make a covenant with people like us. And so we cry out today, we want to renew our covenant with you. We want to obey, but we want to obey because we see you more kind and more loving and more merciful than we imagined. And so thank you for the good news of the gospel. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.